sees me at the end of the hallway and he goes, oh, hey, dude, um, I'm really glad you're here. Something just happened. Mm. Um, I think something happened to Hunter. Okay. So he goes, I think he fell in the bathroom and he's bleeding. You're listening to the latest dose of Bipolar Recorder. This podcast may cause dizziness and blurred vision. Enjoy. My name is Hunter Keegan. Welcome back to Bipolar Recorder. I've been working on a new memoir lately that explores my experience studying at Penn State University before I was diagnosed as bipolar. But I ran into some writer's block and have been trying to find ways to jog my memory and get the creative juices flowing again. So I reached out to someone from the distant past, someone who actually knew me during those crazy dark days at Penn State, and I reconnected with them. In this episode, I speak with an old friend of mine named Paul. Paul and I went to school together. During certain periods at Penn State, I worked as a resident assistant, also known as an RA, in the campus dorms, and that's how we first met. Although an RA is supposed to be a positive, straight-edge mentor for other students, I was certainly no model citizen. My last couple of years at Penn State were marred by alcoholism and depression. I wanted to get some outside perspective on what I was like back then. So I texted Paul out of the blue, some 10 years after last seeing him in person, and five years since last communicating with him in general. And surprisingly, he reached back out to me and agreed to chat for a while about what our college lives were like. To provide some context, Paul now works as a scientist, conducting complex research for a major pharmaceutical company. But when I knew Paul, he was working as a bouncer at various bars and clubs in State College, Pennsylvania. State College is the name of the town that Penn State University is located in. Yes, it's a very creative name, I know. But just so you can picture this, Paul looks like a pretty intimidating dude. In the world of combat sports, he's what you'd call a heavyweight, and he used to extensively train in Muay Thai and MMA. But he's really one of the most genuine and thoughtful dudes who I knew in those days. In this episode of Bipolar Recorder, I ask Paul about what he recalls from those days of college debauchery. Paul also shares about some of his own mental health struggles during his college years. Throughout this episode, I censor some names, so you'll hear some little blips like this in order to maintain people's privacy. So sit back and take a trip down memory lane with me. All right, man. Well, um, first off, I, I think it's been about five years since we last spoke, maybe a little more than that. Probably. I mean, I, that's, yep. Now, last I heard, and I, uh, I saw some of our old text messages from like 2018, 
you were you were saying that you'd had a couple of concussions and shit are is that going okay now or are you still fighting like what are you doing man so i've like i've definitely um cheated death probably a few times but like i'm good okay um you know when the every time i get a new one it's a longer and longer recovery process but for the most part i'm i'm pretty good that's cool are you still doing muay thai and stuff no i do not fight anymore <laughs> oh man is is that how you were getting the concussions with fighting uh actually no more more often than not uh stupid people on the road in car accidents oh shit uh that was two or three of them um yeah no i only got one from fighting um but it got to the point where while i was training to fight i just felt uncomfortable getting knocked in the head that's smart so i was like you know what maybe i'll just switch to so now i just weight lift and rock climb Dude, that's what's up, man. I um I was getting in really good shape prior to COVID. Um, uh, was running like 35 miles a week, doing all this crazy cardio and shit. And uh man, I lost it. I need to get back on my exercise game big time. So inspirational to hear that you're sticking with it and still killing it out there. Rock climbing is cool. Do you do that at a indoor gym or do you go out to places or what? Yeah, I go to an indoor gym. I just go for like I do the easy walls because I'm still a real, I'm I'm a pretty big dude. I'm like 240 yeah. still, so I like I I try and do the easy walls and just treat it like a cardio ladder. So nice. I'll do like three or four hundred feet in a day, and then I because I can't do things that I used to like skydive because of my concussions. Mm-hmm. It it safely lets me fall fifty or sixty feet, which kind of like lets me feel like I'm falling again, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to, yeah, I use that hobby as a way to like mimic the feeling I got from another hobby. Cool. So you're kind of recapturing that vibe and everything. Yeah, but in in hopefully a safe way. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, fighting is dangerous. I've gotten super into uh, boxing over like the last year and a half and watching these dudes fucking take these hits. I'm just like, oh, my God, man, 12 rounds of that. Right. Crazy, man. And then you see these guys who have not you look at their records and it's like 26 KOs. And you're like, wow, this guy's blasted 26 people that fucking hard. huh? Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) But yeah, man, um, I I totally appreciate you taking the time to kind of like talk with me. I know it's been a minute to say the least, um, but um, to kind of fill you in and I have published a couple of books so far and I'm my brain is trying to kill me or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is the one. Uh, And now I'm kind of writing like a follow up to that. So it's going to be my third book. And I am encountering almost like some writer's block with it. It focuses really heavily on the college years before I was like technically diagnosed as bipolar. And um, like, I I was just wondering, it, like, it would be so cool to like get someone else's perspective from those days and kind of maybe like, you know, hear what it was like from the other side of things, you know? Um, so yeah, that's why I wanted to reach out to you, man, because uh, I feel like we knew each other pretty well back then and definitely, you know, had a lot of mutual friends and everything. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. 
I can help you fill in the gaps. And it was a wild ride. You was my RA. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess um, we can start there. So we met back in the day. I guess it would have been about 2013. I was about 19 or 20 years old. I guess you were about 18 at the time. I believe yep. I, was, I, I think this was my junior year of college and it was your freshman year. Yep. Um, you were one of the first people who I met in the dorm, actually. And I remember that because your mom was talking to me about you having to use an inhaler and you, you got or something like that. And yeah. you were like, Mom, like, come on. And I, I just remember that. I was like, oh, man, that's funny. Like, this dude looks like a straight killer and his mom is worried about his asthma. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, man. Um, but, 100% accurate. Yeah. So, yeah, I just uh, I remember that really well. And I guess I was kind of curious to ask you, like, what were some of your first impressions of me? Like those first couple of weeks that we were living in the dorms and getting to know each other as RAs and students and everything. Well, for the first couple of weeks, I couldn't quite figure out what kind of RA you were, because <laughs> I know there was that one guy who lived on the opposite side of the floor of me and he had like a half a weed on him. Yeah. And, and you knew he at least had like a decent amount of weed. Yeah. So you had to like, let him know like, yo dude, keep it on the down low. Shit's real. Like yeah. don't, don't get caught. So that's, so we're all like, yo, is this guy like looking out for us? Is he out to get us? Like, was he just saying that because he couldn't prove it? Like what? Okay. What? What? Like what's this guy like? And then, and then eventually he just started hanging out with us, doing various things. And you joined us at the hookah circle a couple times. I was like, okay. Yeah, I, like I remember that. Like we would hang out at night, um, and you had like this big hookah, and people would all chill out and just kind of shoot the shit or whatever. Um. <laughs> It was funny for me because that was like, it was a time where I was really trying to appear straight edge on the surface because I had all this other crazy shit going on and I was trying to keep it on the DL. But like, when I think back, I, I feel like everyone had to have known eventually, like after a few months, like, hey, like this guy really parties a lot. Or like this, this guy's a little like kind of going a little too crazy. You, you held it together until second semester. Yeah. Like no one really knew until second semester. Okay. And like that being said, even when like I'd come over and we'd have beers and stuff, like yeah. I wouldn't really let that be known to the rest of the floor because I wanted to keep having beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah we kept that uh pretty much on the dl um i uh i remember uh occasionally pursuing you guys to drink beers with you when i ran out of alcohol uh which was always a great look like i'm, I'm sure you know people get back from parties at three in the morning and the first thing they want to do is hang out with their ra who's just looking for like a natty light or whatever um, but yeah, man, it's interesting that you mentioned that second semester, because I think that 
that was really like I do distinctly remember things like really starting to get weird I think that was like probably one of the first like really bad depressive episodes I went through and like I mean as you know man like I, I was like pounding fifths of liquor at night and you know just drinking 40s and being a fucking degenerate um but i i did want to ask this was one of the main things i wanted to ask you about there was a night when i fell really hard because i was drunk as fuck walking back from a party (laughs) i need to know what really happened that night because i was almost blackout drunk and i had a concussion i think you definitely (laughs) yeah oh my god so can you kind of walk me through that because i like i'm trying to piece it back together and i remember it as one of those key moments where i was like all right dog like this is a big red flag all right yeah i can tell that story i just feel bad because i feel partially responsible for that story oh no no man you're not responsible at all this was these were actions that i took in my life due to indiscretions and naivety and immaturity so i say whatever you want to say dude all right you actually want to hear the story start to finish sure yeah okay you want to tell it yeah all right i can tell it from my perspective okay so you remember the guys on the floor uh they were a group of characters about 50 kids on the floor right there were about 50 students living with us on the floor of the building that's about right yeah so the people on my side there was like a a group of them that were all rushing fraternities Mm -hmm. At this point, Paul alludes to the use of psychedelic drugs. He also uses the term journey to euphemistically refer to an acid trip. Well, one night they decided to get a little little trippy. Right, right. So I'd never partaken. I was hanging out back at the dorms with like... So you showed up like an hour or two later and you're like, yo, dude, green dragon. Got any of that? That 151 shit shit I used to make. Yeah. With the weed on it. It was like, it was like distilled. um, It it was, what was it? It was like really high proof liquor with, you had infused cannabis into it. So basically, it was like knockout juice. In a way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you came over and, and you're like, yo, dude, like, can I get a shot of that? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure, dude, of course. Like, you could, why not? So you had one, and then about 20 minutes later, you are like, well, it was either right after or 20 minutes later. I forget, like, it wasn't kicking in or just you thought you could take more. But you were like, dude, I need a second shot. Like, give me more of that green dragon. Yeah. And I was like, dude, trust me, this shit will knock you out. Like, you, I don't think you want a second shot. Like, give it time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you were like, dude, I am your RA. I got <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. Okay. Then I was like, all right, fine, man. I mean, it's your choice. It's your body. Your life. Fucking go do it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I knew that two shots of 151 wasn't going to kill you. I knew you probably weren't going to get hurt, but I know you probably were going to fall right asleep and maybe throw up. Mm -hmm. Like, worst case scenario, I knew you were probably going to get sick and go to bed. Right. So I was like, okay, here you go. Well, and then I go to bed like an hour after that. And then the guys that are on their journey call (laughs) and they're like, yo, dude, we're on a journey. Do you want to join us? Mm -hmm. And again, I'm I'm only telling the story from my perspective. So I was like, okay. Um, I've always been interested in going on a journey. Sure, yeah, I'll join you guys. Well, I joined them, and as soon as things start to get a little strange, you remember? Yeah. He he sees me at the end of the hallway, and I'm like looking down the hallway, and things are like, yeah, starting to yeah, yeah. get a little topsy turvy with it. Yeah, and like that's on, yeah, it's not unfamiliar to me like completely unfamiliar at that time never mm-hmm. never known but Matt sees me at the end of the hallway and he goes oh hey dude um i'm really glad you're here something just happened mm. i was like what's that and he goes well i figured if there was anyone on the floor that should know it should probably be you um i think something happened to hunter okay and I was like, "What? Well, what do you mean? Now, piecing it together, this is like two and a half hours after you had just taken that last shot. Right. So he goes, I think he fell in the bathroom and he's bleeding. Uh, I was like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like while coming up on fucking alex the best best time for that the first time ever you're getting your fucking mind expanded and then it's like there's an emergency right yeah excuse thanks and then he goes to bed (laughs) he's like fuck this yeah so then i and i'm playing uh sherlock you know i'm playing sleuth Mm -hmm. (laughs) while losing it so I go in the bathroom and you're not in there, but I look in the stalls and I see like the one stall's hinges were like a little crooked and I went, huh, I wonder what that's from. And I look down, look down and there's blood. And then I just follow the drips of blood until it gets to your door. And then there's just a giant bloody handprint that I can tell like <sighs> oh, smeared down the door. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking, is this real? Holy shit, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thankfully, your door was open. Mm-hmm. So I went in, and you were just sitting, like, like propped up on your bed, like, uh-huh. with, like, blood coming down your face and onto your shirt and stuff. So... So then I still have enough mind to go, okay, this isn't good. We need to fix this. So I run and get, as my mom, you described, worried about the inhaler. I had a first aid kit and 
everything in my room i ran got like hydrogen peroxide bandages gauze patch you all up because you had like gas right here or something and then i just checked on you every couple hours and you stayed asleep (laughs) you definitely had a concussion (laughs) yeah dog like and good looking out man uh for real uh i i'm sorry i put you in that situation um it's all good we got through we got through and yeah like what had happened and um it's crazy because like I think it was, I think it was this side of my face. I had like a big um, scar there for like a couple of years and uh, I probably should have gotten stitches, but uh, of course I didn't at the time. But I remember, this is what I remember. I remember walking into the bathroom. I, I totally had forgotten that I had been drinking that green dragon shit um that part of the story i completely forgot about but i remember walking to the bathroom while like browning out basically and i walked through the door and i fell and my head hit the the fucking door frame and i just went down and i was like i was like I just remember very vividly putting my hands up to my head while drunk as fuck and just everything was wet and i was like I was like, oh, like, I, I was like, what is this? And then I look at my hand. I'm like, oh, dude, you're bleeding like a lot. So I freak out and I'm like, I can bleed this straight. And um, I don't know. It was probably like, what, three in the morning at this point. Um, and I don't remember walking back to the room. I don't remember the bloody handprint on the door. So like, I do remember you coming in, though um and like asking me some stuff and kind of like trying to like suss out what was going on but i i do remember waking up the next morning and just being like i had forgotten everything and i was like why is there all this gauze on my face and then i looked down and you know i had like really long hair back then and blood was all crusted through my hair and shit and i was just like oh my god but if i recall correctly you and the homies did some dirty work on my behalf and helped make this situation go away, so to speak. Uh, I, I did. Yeah. No one else was questioned by, like, management. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, this was the only time. I don't like having to lie, but this is the one experience where I was like, damn. I'm really fucking good at lying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude. Like basically what had happened is my boss had caught wind of this somehow. And I, I can't remember how. Do you know how uh, he found out? Oh, yeah, I remember. How did he find out? Because you talked to me the day after because you had a team meeting with your group the day after you fell. Oh, fuck. And you had a giant gash in your head and you couldn't come up with a cohesive story of why you have a giant gash on your head. Yeah. So then you gave some sort of answer of, Mm -hmm. and then you came and met with me on the story that we were going to then tell him and his bosses. Oh my God, man. So unethical. That I dude, I hate lying too. I think that is one of the only two times I've lied as an adult. 
um, to someone's face because was asking me about it. And he was like, he was like, so what happened? And I was like, yeah, I just slipped and I fell. And he was like, not buying it. And he was like, kind of pressing me on it a little bit. And I was just like, it was, I, I was like, if I was talking to the police or something, I just gave him as little information as possible. And was just like, yeah, I slipped. And in my head, I was like, technically I did slip. So, um, yeah going off of all technicals as well because you said to me you're like listen man i recently started a new sleeping medication i didn't realize that that would interact with things the way that it did just mm-hmm. that i was on a new sleeping medication and i was like oh, i don't actually know if he's on a new sleeping medication i don't know why he fell for sure and i wasn't there all i know is that i helped him after he fell yeah so basically just said he said he's on a new sleeping medication. I patched him up after he fell. I don't know anything other than that. So, yeah, I did mind saying that I didn't know anything other than that because, yeah, I knew that you were drunk. But I wasn't about to tell the whole story and throw my homie out of his room. <laughs> well thanks for that bro um yeah like there were a couple of follow-up conversations that um i had about that and like in retrospect i I think back on all this shit and i'm just like i i can't believe how i would just manipulate like that and and lie to get myself out of these situations that were entirely my own doing like regardless of if you know mental illness was a component or not i was still acting irresponsibly so illness or not you know someone having what i would argue would be a college experience shouldn't force them to be kicked out of their house right yeah i mean we all make stupid mistakes when we're younger and shit that's true yeah and the penn state social scene is so crazy you know i i've talked about it in my books and i've talked about it on my podcast a couple of times but like dog like it's crazy every like thursday night friday night saturday night those are just normal nights to go get fucked up on so then the other four days of the week are like fair game as well and you get like literally tens of thousands of people all drinking and getting fucked up and just raging and it's such an easy scene if you have addictive tendencies to kind of get lost in. Which we do. We do, yeah. Wow. Um, that's crazy, man. Well, so I guess my next question for you would be like, did you guys have any inkling like yourself or any of our other friends who were on the floor like, did you ever get an impression that like something deeper was going on besides just the partying or like, was there anything that seemed off about me? Because this was like right when I started like really encountering some of those bipolar symptoms. And I've always wondered like if other people were picking up on it before I did. Um, so yes and no, I, I mean, I saw you, and found you in a few different circumstances where I'm like, huh, that's my RA, <laughs> y- you know, but, but then, but then, you know, as time goes by and 
two years goes by, I found myself in junior year and people tend to found me as the responsible one. And yet I would still be in circumstances that I would find you in when I was a freshman. Yeah. Like, I can't really say that they're necessarily episodes that I would have linked with bipolarism because I found myself doing various things like that. Like, one day I found you on the roof looking at the stars. Yeah, tripping balls, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think but I like, was smoking DMT that night, actually. And that's fantastic. And I found myself, you know, I didn't elude me in life as well. But most people you talk to, they're like, oh, no, no, no wait, what the fuck is that? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, spirit molecule. <laughs> spirit molecule and in dimethyltryptamine yeah yeah and hey man like when i went after it i thought about your story with the lion and the tree i was like yo i'm gonna make sure that i don't stop part way hmm what story about the lion and the tree oh all right <laughs> so i don't know if it was your first experience but it was you telling me of your time on dmt okay but it was a time that you hadn't completely broken through so it was when you're partially aware of your surroundings mm -hmm. while tripping face and it was that you were sitting on some sort of chair looking out on like a porch or something looking out and and there was like a couple trees and oh fuck yeah now i remember that yeah so that was crazy so i yeah i'd done like a, a sub breakthrough dose of dmt in my uh that was actually at my uh parents place during like winter break or something Yep. And I was looking out the window of my house and I was looking at the trees and suddenly the trees morphed into like this crazy, you know, ants from Lord of the Rings. It was so like a tiger or lion ant just walking through the yard, like 30 feet tall. And I was like, yeah, man, like this is pretty crazy shit. <laughs> so, yeah, yep. man. DMT is crazy. Um, it, I, it's the kind of thing that just doesn't interest me at all these days because it's so intense it, to an extent that's like not even recreational. It's like, oh God, no, it's not recreational at all. It's like uh, if I were to do it, it'd be a once every five years if I felt that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I have someone that's like, yo. It's not my thing, but if you want my fiance has some, she's been holding on to it for a long time. And I'm just like, yo, I don't know if I'm ready for that uh, hole again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, some of my my friends started getting turned off of psychedelics kind of by my senior year. And by the time we uh, were getting ready to graduate, because like we had just been doing that kind of shit so much. and one of my friends who I had tripped with, you know, probably 20 times was like, one day he was just like, yeah, man, like, I just don't feel like I really need this in my life anymore. 
And that blew my mind. I was like, oh, I, I thought we were really like onto some shit here, like having all these crazy revelations and stuff. And it's like, yeah, there's some revelations and introspection and insight, of course, but it's not like, um, this is like kind of the way I look at it. I think psychedelics help you ask new questions they don't really give you new answers. And I, I think in those days, I was kind of trying to pursue answers um, to questions that I was still barely even for, having formulated at that point. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> it, it does. As someone who used those things during those years, yes. <laughs> yeah. It it's wild. Like for, for me, I also in the past two or three years got into microdosing psilocybin for just to open up new questions and feel like a change of scenery every couple months. Mm-hmm. So if I can find a way to then have that day off or that, you know, six, eight hours, it's a, uh, it's been nice. It's been yeah. nice. How often are you microdosing? Uh, well, that, that's the thing. Like it was, I went like two years at one point and like at the end of college, I was microdosing a lot. Let's, let's just say a lot at the end of college. I mean, I used LSD to quit smoking weed so then I could pass drug test jobs. Yeah. So, I mean, it was up at one point for like two months. It was two to three times a week. Okay. Wow. But a only a quarter tab. So I would take one tab like every week and a half, basically. My, my, I had a friend who used to call that like night vision, quote unquote, where you kind of just slightly have like a very slight visual thing going on and colors look a little more vivid, but like, you're not really actually tripping. Um, but he used to microdose like that too. Um, and I guess it was helpful. I I've never really been about microdosing. I've always wanted to do, you know, like, you know, like relatively like psychoactive level right. of yeah. um, that that type of drug. So, I I tend to prefer. Yeah, I sent me too. Like I would rather if I were to do that, I'd rather do like a half or a full. But if you if you change it up, like at that point. Uh, <laughs> At the end of my Penn State career, like I had a mental breakdown, I had to quit all drugs and alcohol for a while. Okay. Uh, I burned the candle at both ends for way too long, and Penn State got the best of me for a while. So I can't say that what I was doing was good, and I would never consider doing that ever again. So was there something that kind of triggered the mental break? Was it just the stress of college or? Uh, stress of college. Um, I was trying to graduate on time. I could, I had the hardest time passing calculus too. Mm. Um, 
and in order to like stay in shape like i would always work out but the thing is penn state lifestyle doesn't really promote healthy living to where is working out's a good idea mm-hmm. you know really drinking i had picked up smoking it was still dipping i was vaping I was smoking weed constantly. I was staying up, working at the bar. After working at the bar, we'd drink until three or four in the morning. Then I'd get up, go to class, work out after. Like, I was never drinking water. My kidneys shut down. Like, really? For a little bit, you know, but you drink enough water and they don't shut down completely. You're good. You can come back. (laughs) But, like, I learned some valuable lessons. And in that time, when they were like, yo, you need to drink water and not do any drugs or alcohol. I was like, then I went crazy in a different way. And then once I finally graduated, I got my sanity back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. Like sometimes it's impossible when you're in an environment where you're surrounded by people who are doing that shit. Like my friend group in those days, they were wild, man. Like, and it wasn't even peer pressure or anything like that. It was just that we were having a fucking good time. But then right. it started getting really dark after a, a, you know, a year of that. It's not sustainable, you Correct. know. And it fucking gets you big time. Oh my god, yeah. Like I'd I'd be at the end of my work shift, and a couple of the guys that I used to bounce with would also trip with me and they'd be like yo dude you want to go wild tonight and i'd be like no and they'd be like come on what do you have i'm in the same biochem class as you tomorrow and you know we don't have anything going on i'd be like all right fuck yeah let's wander around the arboretum at night for five hours like yeah yeah exactly (laughs) it definitely you know people at penn state and i think you'll agree with me on this People at Penn State normally say, um, I'd go back not to change anything, but to do it all again. Fuck that. I couldn't handle it again. Fuck no, man. Me either. (laughs) either, I don't know how I got out. I know. Yeah, especially at such a young age where you're still really trying to find yourself and like figure out who you are and still develop as a person. Like with those confounding factors of addiction and just the crazy social scene and everything. It's it's like, how can you avoid it almost, you know? And right. like the reality is that uh, about 30% of um, Americans aged 18 to 25 years old have some diagnosable form of mental health condition each year. Like it's not uncommon at all. And yet the mental health outreach in those days on campus was like, They were like, yeah, we've got a psychology resource center. They'll meet with you like once if you want three months from now. And that wasn't really enough. And, um, you know, of course, with the resident assistant thing and living in the dorms, they try to act like they're all super hard on alcohol and stuff. But that's just a scam to line the pockets of the local police department. It doesn't really teach people about harm reduction or recovery or getting the type of emotional or social or therapy support or whatever. So it's just, it it was like, yeah, it was like so easy just to kind of fall into those kind of black holes of, of 
that kind of shit. What what really blows my mind is how it didn't blow back on me until after I had graduated. And that's when shit really caught up. Like within just a f- couple of months after graduating college, I crashed and burned so fucking hard, dude. Really? Oh yeah. That's what my book is all about, man. So this is what happened. And um as the title of your book resonated with me greatly. <laughs> and I had considered buying it. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, it, so all my stuff, uh, I'm staying at my parents' house right now. So all my shit is in storage, but I'll send you a copy uh, someday if you want. I'll send you a free copy of it. Man, I'll buy a copy. I'll support you. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Yeah, of course. Um, in any case, um, so what that book talks about is basically right after I graduated in December of 2014, I spent a couple of weeks at my parents place and i decided to go on a road trip to new orleans from uh the greater washington dc area so it's it's a long drive right right um so i went on this long trip by myself and as i was driving i realized that i was getting more and more and more amped up and like feeling really anxious and high strung but just so energized and like just wanting to keep driving and driving So what ended up happening ultimately is I drove literally over 6,000 miles throughout the country. Like I went to New Orleans, then I cut it across to Texas, and then I cut it up north straight up through the Rocky Mountains all the way to Montana, and then back to D.C. And it took me like a month. And the whole time I, I was just like no medication, didn't really understand what was happening. I thought I was being like stalked by the government because I was like hearing weird voices and shit coming out of my car stereo. And it started getting really weird, man. And so after I got back home to my parents' place, I was acting like a fucking lunatic. And my parents were like, if you want to keep living here, you're seeing a psychiatrist because something is going on. Gotcha. Yeah, so I went and I saw a psychiatrist and she pretty quickly diagnosed me as having a manic episode and having bipolar disorder type one and all this other shit. And um, things kept escalating and escalating because I wasn't taking care of myself at all. I was just binge drinking and like abusing anxiety medication and sleeping pills and stuff. And I was just spiraling and spiraling. And eventually what happened, dude is in may of 2015 it got to the point where i got fucking detained by police and i was actually like thrown in a psych hospital for like a week and um that is how my life after college started it was like a complete shit damn yeah dude it was really nuts and um that whole experience was just so crazy and i felt at that time i was like man i have just fucked up my life so badly like i don't know how i'm gonna ever recover from this and after getting out of the hospital i was like crazy depressed for a few months but i ended up managing to find a job um while still super depressed and uh paranoid and everything and i worked in social services for a few years Uh, That was like my first real job after college. And then eventually I I moved into uh, a different industry and I've been able to lead a stable, successful career. Um, 
ever since. Yeah, man, like the last eight years, you know, I haven't had a, uh, oh, okay, actually the last six and a half years, I haven't had a single drink of alcohol. Like uh, I did the stone sober thing for about four years. And then I started smoking weed again. Um, yeah, that's it's weed still my uh, my crocs. It, it doesn't kill me and it keeps me around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm taking a break from marijuana right now, personally, because I was kind of pushing the limits a little bit too much with it, I think. I, I was It was just becoming kind of too much part of my routine after work. You know, I'd have a joint or whatever. And I was like, I don't think I really need to be doing this every day, you know. Like at Penn State, I used to do so many things. Now, like I drink white beer when I'm done work and I smoke still, but that's it. That's the way to do it, man. Um, I just think of alcohol as poison at this point. And it sucks because I still have cravings for it sometimes, you know, like you got to take it a day at a time. But like that shit sucks, man. It'll get you if you abuse it. Oh, it totally is poison. Mm -hmm. uh, the, and that like like i said that's why i stick to weed and it keeps me around it's it's just like the least toxic thing that's like kind of makes you feel good <laughs> and I, the and the other the other stuff that's less toxic for your body like the going on journey stuff mm -hmm. like talk about earlier your mind can't handle that that much so there's no, you can't do that that often. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do LSD every, every day, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, no. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're nice. As long as you keep it mild, it can be really, uh, sorry. As long as you're not going full face, it's, it's pretty, uh, enlightening in certain ways, but yeah. Um, I did want to ask you, uh, what was your favorite part of the college days? favorite part of college days um at least at least in the times where you were around and we all shared the college experience because like i had different favorite aspects of college but at least that year my favorite thing was that we had like you said, we had 50, 50 guys on the floor, roughly. But there was probably, like, 20 of us that wanted to, like, hang with one another. Mm -hmm. So, like, those snowball fights we had, the manhunt we had in, like, three-foot-deep snow, the igloo on the roof. <laughs> the, the shit we got into and got away with as a group of, like, 15, 20 dudes. Yeah was i thought fantastic like even even in hindsight getting in trouble for drinking in the dorms like we got away with that shit in a way mm -hmm. i mean we didn't get away with it as much as the football players that were supposed to be in our seminars that also got caught drinking right but we got away with it yeah so uh, at least with like a 99% success rate like uh you know um that's crazy though you know something else i remembered i just remembered about the night um that i busted my head um before i i think what had happened if i'm remembering correctly is i had been pre-gaming 
And then I went to a party, but on my way out of the dorm, two of the other RAs in the building like ran right into me. Um, and they uh, they could tell that I was already kind of fucked up and I was getting like weird vibes from them and shit. So, th- so they saw that. And I think that um, they probably also had narked me out so then like just the cherry on top of the whole thing is like oh medical emergency just blood everywhere like oh my god and you know the fucked up thing is i was mad at those two girls for for trying to do the right thing and hold me accountable i was like fuck them right it's like like, i was like how dare they think that i should be doing what i'm supposed to do (laughs) oh they were narcs Arcs. they could have let it go they didn't see anything yeah yeah you know something funny is um like a year after all of this i was doing my senior capstone project and i was supposed to be brainstorming all these different ideas for like a psychology research study and uh-huh. one of the things i came up with was um basically doing a pretend study uh using freshman students from the dorms as like an educational activity basically and I, I thought it was a really good idea so what i did of course in retrospect i was hypomanic which is like mild form of mania at the time where my mind is just racing and i'm feeling pretty grandiose and i'm like oh man like my ideas are just so good right now so um i called one night in like December of 2014 like right before I'm going to graduate and I'm like hey man you know uh got this idea and I want to run this study and it doesn't need IRB approval because it's just for a project and blah 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 and I'm I'm like talking 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 and he he interrupts me after like 30 seconds as he should you know he's just like hey man like like slow down because was a good fucking dude man yeah, he was, i really like him he was a great leader he was very emotionally intelligent he was a good guy yeah i even stayed friendly with him after everything yeah like he, he was a he was a really good dude so yeah. um i called tell him about this crazy project he's like reluctant about it but then i remind him you know like i'm still at penn state i just hadn't seen him in like a year so he mm-hmm. thought that I was even still attending Penn State at the time. And he thought, like, clearly, he was like, oh, Hunter is just a crazy person calling me out of the blue. Because he he was one of the first people to notice that there was something off. Right. Like, yeah, like, he was the first person who, like, really was, like, encouraging me to seek out counseling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, he could tell something was up. And... um so when I called him, I think he already knew the context of like, look, like I, Hunter's got his something's going on. But so I talked to him, I explained it and he agreed. He was like, OK, sure. If you want to if you want to talk to the other RAs and see if maybe some of their students would be interested in participating in this, go ahead, go to their meeting tonight. I'm not going to be there because I'm traveling, but you can go and tell them about your project and see if they're into it. And you can use that for your capstone project and i'm like fuck yeah so i rushed back to my apartment that i was living in on like the outskirts of town at the time Uh, i uh 
rush back to campus. I, I put on like a nice suit and stuff because I wanted to look really legit. And um, I walk into where they have their meeting every night. They, they have like a weekly meeting. Not every, mm. I, I said every night, but it's like weekly. They have a weekly right. meeting, whatever. They all meet there. So I basically walk into this room with zero explanation, assuming that had told them that I was coming by. But I'm so manic and worked up and like in my head. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to just unload this idea on them. So right. I come in and I and everyone's like, what the fuck is he doing here? Because they remembered me from the year before. And I'm just like, hey, what's up? Like, uh, and I go in and I, I sit down and I just go into it. And everyone's just looking at me like, what? Like, who is like, why? Why is he here? Like, what? what is he talking about? And um, I, yeah, so I just launched into this rant basically. And there were all of my peers there from the year before. And they were just looking at me like so suspiciously and skeptically. Like, I think they probably thought I was on cocaine or something. Um, and one of them, one of them was like, he asked me something kind of stupid. And I was like, he was a pre-med student and I just shot back at him. Hey man, you're going to be a fucking doctor. <laughs> and like, you should know that answer to that question. And, and at that point I was like, I was like, okay, I think I just torpedoed this. So I was like, all right, whatever. I was like, hit me up if you're interested or not. All right, peace. And, um, I bounced out and, uh, <laughs> this yeah it was it was so bad dude i i just made myself look like an absolute psycho and like i still remember the look on their faces as i was like looking them in the eye and telling them all about this great idea that i had whatever that happened obviously no one was on board with it and i ended up having to do so something. what was the idea the idea was to look at emotional intelligence surveys different types of emotional intelligence surveys, which is like a subfield in psychology, uh, emotional intelligence, and combine them to create what, in my opinion, was like a super good emotional intelligence survey, and then give it to freshman students and also to some of my senior um, classmates and see if there were different levels of emotional intelligence between the two populations. That was my idea. No, oh, if there was like emotional growth and intelligence as you yeah. went to college. Yeah, exactly. That's actually a pretty cool study. Yeah, it would have it's not a bad idea. It would have been a, a good thing to do for the project. I just couldn't communicate or articulate this to people because my mind was like going rapid fire. And gotcha. meanwhile, I've got my whole egotistical craziness going on where um, you know, I I just think that I'm on top of the world and that people aren't on my wavelength and that's not a realistic or productive place to be in. So yeah, man, that, that, um, spiraled out, you know, and, uh, really learned a bunch of things. Um, after being in the hospital and starting my job, I, I got sober about three months after starting my first like professional job after college. And uh, a couple months after that, I started seeing a psychiatrist once I had sobered up and kind of realized like, you know, maybe there's something to this. Like maybe I really am seriously mentally ill. Mm. And um, 
yeah, so I started, like I got on medication. I continued not drinking. I, I just started taking care of myself better. And um, there were certainly still big challenges along the way. Like I still had really bad depressive episodes sometimes and stuff. But I had it like under control and I, I was really able to turn my life around in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's just so wild to think back, you know, uh, 10 years ago, I just think how much of my time was I wasting getting fucked up when I could have been learning a new language or reading a cool book or whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah, dude. Or if I properly invested, I spent like $30,000 on drugs in college. Really? Or like now probably, probably 15. Shit. What, what kind of drugs were you buying? Well, I was, I just got, had gotten to the point where I was smoking so much weed and so much wax mm. that I could smoke a $50 gram of oil every two days. Mm, okay. So, and because I was bartending, like I, I had all my expenses paid for, like, like my college fund technically like ran out at the beginning of senior year. But by that point I was making so much fucking money with bartending that I could still pay for all my expenses, like rent books and then still have enough to have $300 in oil a week. Mm -hmm. And I was just fucked up beyond belief for <laughs> a year and a half. That can happen, and man. And then I, like I said, I crashed and burned um, and then sobered up for like a really hard, probably two or three months and then tried my own way of quitting weed and then got a job and went back to smoking weed anyway. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it worked out, man. You got your degree. You you sound like you're in a good place with your. I I mean, you're you're a scientist now, right? Uh, I, yeah. So, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, what's with that whole thing? You became a scientist. That's great. Yeah. So I I was a scientist, and then I recently switched to be a a drug manufacturer for a pharma company. Okay, working for big pharma. Yeah, well, <laughs> medium-sized pharma, actually. Okay, got you. But uh, I just accepted a new position, so I'm actually going to be a scientist again. Oh, okay. So I'll be doing a process development for purifying protein. Wow, that sounds very technical and complicated, and I would have no fucking idea even where to start with that. <laughs> uh, Yeah uh like me you're just like yeah don't even worry about it <laughs> like me trying to explain wait what what degree do you have psychology is what i yeah. my degree is in yeah i'm not gonna know shit about chemistry or biology man well i know a little bit but not nearly enough to all right okay so my job is to figure out how to get various super gross liquids that have a whole bunch of different fucking molecules and like proteins in them and get the best purity of various molecules off of it. Wow. That's so, crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, at this point I realize that I'm really good at it. So like to me it's easy and it's fun, That's but cool. yeah, to other people it's fucking wild. 
but I just view it as pouring gross liquids over sand. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're uh, selling yourself a little short there, but that's great, man. So what, what was your degree ultimately in? Uh, biology, but uh, my option was genetics. Okay. So I got a genetics degree and then I, I just worked at a biotech company and uh, they had pretty high layover or turnover, I should say. Mm -hmm. They didn't lay off. They just had turnover. Mm -hmm. And I just like kept filling in various positions until I could basically do anything in a biotech lab. Wow. So, yeah, if it's cells or protein, I can probably do it. Nice. Um, that's super cool, man. I, so various things that you've said have got me thinking and like, at times I've wondered if like, I have very, very mild bipolar. Okay. Because I mean, I can't say I've ever had like, you know, a long manic episode, but like, you know, I've I'm definitely a little bit depressive. Mm -hmm. But like when you were talking about, you know, all, all these grandiose ideas and. Oh, man, I do that all the time. Like at work at work, they call me Paul Nye, the science guy, because I run over with like a whiteboard and just start teaching, even if people don't want me to. Like, I'll just start wow. spewing random words. And it's just like, all right, Paul, you can. Take it down a notch. <laughs> exactly. That's so funny, man. Well, you know, there's uh, different types of bipolar disorder. The type I have is called bipolar type one with psychotic features, which is uh, kind of like the most severe form of bipolar. Um, so like, for example, uh, during like really bad manic or really bad depressive episodes, I can experience kind of symptoms similar to what schizophrenic people experience when they're having episodes, which is really crazy. But there's also a type of bipolar called uh, bipolar type two, wherein uh, depressive, major depressive episodes are present, but only hypomania is present, which is like a mild form of mania where maybe you're you're having racing thoughts, you're thinking you're having really good ideas, you're very talkative, but it's not to the level where it would like, you know, mess up your social functioning or make you lose your job or whatever. Yeah, um, when you said hypomania, I was like, huh, that's a thing. It is a thing. Yeah, a lot of people don't know about it. And there's a third category that I'm not super familiar with, but I'll just mention there is a condition called cyclothymia, which is like a mild, mild form of bipolar. But um, so, yeah, man, I, have you ever done therapy or talked to a psychiatrist or anything? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because when I had like burned the candle at both ends and my kidneys were like shutting down at the end of college because I was on so much drugs, alcohol, nicotine and caffeine and shit mm -hmm. and not drinking water. Um, my mom and my primary doctor had me meet with a doctor three times to make sure that like I wasn't a danger to myself. Mm -hmm. So 
they had a doctor keep an eye on me and we had like uh three three like one hour sessions but by the end of the second one they were like yeah you're good dude you're not a you're not a danger to yourself Hmm. Uh, only only because like that was when i was in a very low point of my mental health yeah um it was because you know i had something incredibly stressful going on and once the doctors realized that they're like oh okay this guy is fairly clear clear of mind well yeah okay so yeah i'm gonna look into that hypomania it's a thing i guess yeah it's called bipolar type two um you can have really bad depressive episodes um some people have psychosis with bipolar type two not everybody um but it, yeah, man, I like if you suspect anything like that, I, I recommend talking to like a therapist or psychologist first instead of a psychiatrist because therapists and uh, psychologists will spend more time with you and uh, get to know you a lot better than like a psychiatrist would because psychiatrists just prescribe medication basically, right? So yeah, uh, yeah if you if you are or feeling like, hey, man, I, I think something's up here. I, I would talk to a professional, you know? Well, I'm going to research it myself. And if things do align, maybe. But um, like I said, career shift going on. I yeah. got a, I got a massive vacation coming up. So I'm just hoping uh, some relaxation and a better job path mm-hmm. with that i'm gonna see how i feel but yeah if uh if i end up not being in a good place and the whole hypomania really resonates maybe i'll talk to someone yeah man and if it does get to that point um psychologytoday.com is an excellent resource for finding therapists you can like filter it by the insurances that they accept in their location and whether they do like virtual or in person or whatever Okay. Um, yeah so man like psychology today okay. is how i found pretty much all of my uh providers my mental health care providers for the last few years okay yeah i mean we'll see i'm probably gonna i'm a stubborn son of a bitch and i'm probably on my own path but uh it like i said if if things end up in a dark place i will check that out yeah man thank you i think it's good just to be educated about these things in general too i mean it's not uncommon for people to experience mental health conditions challenges whatever you know uh it it is something that needs to be talked more about and i really what i'm trying to do with projects like like this one like with my books whatever is just trying to reduce social stigma and educate the wider public about stuff like bipolar disorder and just try to remove the veil of like i don't know negativity or misinformation that surrounds it so that's that's kind of where my head's at right now i'm still working a full-time day job it's kind of cool it's it's really a boring job that i'm not very passionate about but i'm good at it it gets the bills paid. And, nice. 
but I'm really trying to, you know, work on my mental health advocacy full time. Like that would be the dream if I would be able to do that. So I'm really working toward that. I'm trying to put the pieces in place and we'll just see how it goes. Hell yeah. I, I'm, I'm all about that. I mean, I'm all about, even if it's boring working somewhere so that you can pursue your own passions on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Something I've been uh, thinking about is disclosing my bipolar condition to my employer, which is insane. I, I never would have thought I would even say that, like even just six months ago, but it's like, there's all these talk, all of this talk right now about neurodivergence and the value of neurodivergence in the workplace. And it's almost like a euphemism for companies trying to look for people who have autism spectrum disorder or something like that. And it's like, guys, there's so many other types of conditions. Neurodivergence is not just limited to autism or ADHD or whatever. Right. Um, and I think I think that I have a good enough relationship with like my current supervisors and stuff where if I shared that, it could be it could be like big in a positive way. You know, I've told them before I live with a disability, like I, I live with an ADA recognized disability. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm gonna have to take some sick days here and there if shit gets bad. You know, occasionally I do have to take time off of work because I'll be having like a bad mood episode or something. Right. But like they've been very cool about it. They've been very respectful, um, not prying for information. But I would just be curious what their reaction would be um, if I if I had told, you know, my my supervisor about it. I've already shared it with one other coworker who I'm close with. I don't mm-hmm. really mind sharing it with people who I'm close with. But within the workplace, there's just still so much stigma. But I feel like by being more vocal, by saying, hey, I'm bipolar, you guys know that I kill it. You guys just gave me right. a bonus last quarter. Come on. Like, right. it's, it's not that big of a deal when you're in treatment and you're taking care of yourself and you're doing the right shit. Right, right. Yeah. Like you said, they know you kill it. They know you get the job done. That should be all that matters. Right. I don't know. So here's the thing if that will make you feel better as far as opening up the field for the neurodivergence but it sounds like you already have the support group that you need mm-hmm. so at at this point i'm just gonna say it's up to you because if you didn't have the support group you need then maybe i would say definitely feel the definitely vocalize it if you thought that that would help but since you have the support you know, I have disclosed in the past once and it really, really backfired on me. I actually disclosed twice in the past now that I'm thinking about it. Both times it backfired. Um, but I'm thinking almost as like a personal statement, you know, like, why not start being more vocal about it? I, I've also been talking to some other uh, people about this sort of thing. And there's some very inspirational people who I know who have been open about being bipolar or being schizophrenic for many years and they continue to lead successful careers and lives and everything. Yeah. I, yeah. One of my cousins is schizophrenic and he's, I think he has his doctorate. Yeah. He has his doctorate. Nice. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Man. Like these are conditions that people can still live with and succeed with. It's not necessarily a death sentence or the end of the world. Of course, they're very, very serious problems to live with, but there's different coping strategies that can work for different people, different medications that can work for different people. Um, but yeah, more power to your cousin. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I haven't really seen him in a long time. He, he moved away, uh, went, went West, started a family, te- teaching at a college out there. Brilliant dude. But yeah, everyone has their own, you know, mental journey. Agreed, man. But regardless of mental journeys, cheers to getting through Penn State. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what was your ultimate takeaway from Penn State at, at the end of the day? Like, if you had to summarize it, what, what, what did we really learn there? <laughs> I mean, I got, I got a better education from Penn State than I would have gotten from any other, any other university, uh, both both book-wise and social-wise and work ethic-wise, but that's also because I had, I was working 30 hours a week and I was working 30 hours a week in a bar. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got, I interacted with on a busy night, three to 600 different people. Mm -hmm. So I just had thousands of human interactions every week that taught me how to work with people in social settings Mm. and then just working 30 hours a week while going to school full time for basically biochemistry um, taught me a hard work ethic and then the classes for Penn State science are no joke. Like, holy mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, dude. I, I remember taking an intro level. Um, oh, gosh, what even was it? I can't re- I can't remember, but it was like an entry level, uh, like a 100 level biology course or something. And I was like, this is so complicated. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what whatever I do moving forward, it's not going to be in biology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like just having to pass calculus two and every organic chemistry to get a biology degree it's like holy shit you know you talk to other people that got a bio degree from another like say you went to westchester or uh yeah, i'll just use westchester or like immaculata as, as an example from Penn pennsylvania another school you say they got a bio degree and well they didn't need to take uh calc two and they might not even need to take orgo one let alone orgo one and two and the labs mm-hmm. so I just ended up with a way more in-depth knowledge base than most other colleges required yeah so i'm i'm all for it I've got to say I got the best education I could have, but by the same token, like you said, um, like that ramped up drinking at least four days a week is a minimum norm. Mm -hmm. Like I know I have an addictive personality. I am an addict and I smoke weed and I drink more than I should. 
Mm-hmm. Not saying I smoke more than I should, but I definitely drink more than I should. But at like at Penn State, it's you know that's encouraged. I used to go to the library hammered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like I. I didn't go to ancient Greek not stoned once. I learned how to read and write in another language, not sober. To whereas once when I went sober, I couldn't keep up. Well, I think it's definitely a great university. It's a great, it's a great school. I got a really good education there, but I do think back on it as probably the most complicated phase of my life. Um, and I think a lot of that just comes with looking back on things over time, looking at things retrospectively and comparing, you know, where I am or where you are now to where we were. Um, I think it shows that both of us have come a very long way. I've had other, uh, another guest on, on the podcast who went to Penn state and she is, um, wildly successful despite having very big challenges with bipolar disorder and it's like you know you can fuck up you can make mistakes everyone makes mistakes and like you learn from them man and you it's about how you react and respond to them and develop yourself agreed agreed a lot of the things that i used to do i would never consider doing nowadays but yeah like you said it's how you develop yourself and even if you make mistakes in the past it's the actions you're able to take now wild yeah we've come a long way there dude we, we did it we, we fucking did it success yeah i'm almost 30 now isn't that crazy can't believe it yeah it's it is crazy yeah because you're my brother's age and he's about to be 30 i'm about to be 28 yeah yeah, it's been it's been a decade since I've been in college or like since I started college. I yeah. Guess. Wild. It is really wild how time passes like that. I can't believe it either. I I think back to um you know, 2014 and it's like, man, that was a long time ago. My brother, my youngest brother ended up going to Penn State, kind of following in my footsteps and he said the whole scene there has changed completely compared to not like the social I'm, they're still partying and drinking and everything but like the actual town of state college itself like there's all this new development and these new buildings oh, and high rises and shit you can't see chipotle anymore really surrounded by four high rises oh my gosh it's so weird it's like 13 story buildings all around it used to be you walk into town yeah, there's Chipotle. I'm going to go there. You know, you can see it from a quarter mile away because it's all those big parking lots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Over by McClanahan's. I wonder if they're still in business. They are. Good for them. They survived the pandemic. Yep. There's uh, a lot of bars changed. They got rid of uh, the Rathskellers no longer there. Uh um dark horse changed um you know how there was like the first and the second yeah these are like all my favorite bars from back then like like skeller 
uh, Dark Horse. I, I really liked um, the the whatever you just said too, because they had the like the dedicated whiskey bar next to just like a shitty, yeah, like you know college bar. Yeah. Uh, so the the first and the second. So the first was like the underground shitty like college bar. Yeah, it was and like then, a, like pool tables and shit, and just gross and dirty. Yeah. <laughs> And then above it was the whiskey bar. And then, so they actually bought the building next to that. So now it's like the third. And that's like a really fancy seafood restaurant bar. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like they've really classed the place up since we were there. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) It seems like standards have gone up since we were there. Yeah. But I don't know. I I appreciated being trashy for a few years. Yeah. <laughs> you learn a lot. It, it gives you perspective on shit to um and I think experimenting to a certain extent with things that alter your consciousness are is worthwhile. Um not for everybody, but you know, can be for some. So, but before we end this recording, I just want to tell you one of your quotes that you said to me freshman year. <laughs> and it's not going to make you, it's probably not going to make you feel great, but it makes me laugh every time I think about it. Okay. So, oh my God, I'm so nervous right now. <laughs> I know. I know. No, 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 it's nothing like too bad. It's nothing too bad. So it was me and then the two guys next to us. And we would always like sit and like play video games until like two or three in the morning. And one time you just like popped in on God knows what. <laughs> Told us this like wild story, and I'm not gonna share the story because it's on recording. But you were like, moral of the story, guys. If you ever get a chance to like crush something up and do it, (laughs) (laughs) and and ran out of the room, and I was like, you know, guys, that's our RA. Oh my God, man. Yeah, man. And you know, these days my advice would be absolutely do not do that. Don't snort random things. You don't know what the fuck, dude, I would never buy any powder or pill off the street these days with the prevalence of fentanyl. It has just gotten way too sketchy. And thank God that that was not as widespread when we were still doing that shit. Agreed. Well, man, uh, this has been great. I, I got to go take my dog for a walk before he uh, loses his mind. Um, but it was awesome talking to you, and I hope we can chat again soon. Yeah, I'm I'm around. So uh, the the book is my my brain is trying to kill me. Yeah, and I've also got a short story called Alice Head Creeps, uh, which is about thirty pages long. Um, what is it? Alice Head Creeps. 
is the name of my short story. Um, it's a reference to a song by Alice in Chains, but it's about a really, really bad situation I got myself into because of drinking too much and kind of how I recovered from that. And it's about addiction recovery, basically. But, okay. Yeah, so I got a couple books out there, man. Uh, I would be honored if you if you took the time to uh, check them out. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, if you ever want the full lowdown on my life, it's out there. All right, I'll. Uh, I think I might be able to learn a little bit. Well, well, not just about you, but learn a little bit about me and my my experience from that book. So. Yeah. All right. Sounds. And I'll I'll check it out. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. This was great. What a trip. Talking to Paul reminded me of a bunch of stuff that I'd completely forgotten about over the years. This episode was meant to shed some light on what it was like in the years immediately leading up to my bipolar diagnosis. And, needless to say, they weren't easy. I still carry a lot of regret when it comes to the way I spent those years. I wish there was a way I could go back in time and be a mentor for other students like Paul, rather than a questionable influence. But if it wasn't for my lived experience with mental illness, Perhaps I wouldn't be qualified to mentor anyone at all. In the years after getting sober and stable, I actually went on to volunteer with at-risk high school students for about a year, and I got to mentor them and act as a positive role model. The experience was highly intrinsically rewarding, and in a way, maybe it karmically redeemed myself. As I said when I was talking to Paul, I think everyone makes mistakes. What really counts is how you learn from and respond to them. Be sure to follow Bipolar Recorder on Twitter, at Bipolar Recorder. I am still regularly hosting publicly accessible hashtag mental health chill zone audio chat spaces on there. I also regularly post show updates and educational material if you're interested in that sort of thing. I can be found on Twitter at HHKeegan. The books Paul asked me about, My Brain is Trying to Kill Me, and Alice Head Creeps, can both be purchased on Amazon, or you can visit my website, hhkeegan.com. Proceeds from these books help support the show and keep things running. If you've been enjoying Bipolar Recorder, if you've learned something, if something has resonated with you, or if you're just getting a kick out of these wild stories, be sure to tell a friend about the show. Also, don't forget to rate and review. My name is Hunter Keegan. Thanks again for joining me for this installment. I hope you have a safe day, evening, or night, wherever you are. Bipolar Recorder is a listener-supported show. To help keep the show running, consider checking out our Patreon page or visiting BipolarRecorder.com. 
Unless otherwise stated, the hosts and guests on Bipolar Recorder are not licensed mental health professionals. Bipolar Recorder is not a substitute for therapy or professional medical intervention. If you are having a mental health crisis, please contact your local emergency services.